Well, let's get going with our main event today. Open your Bibles there at home or wherever you may be to Daniel chapter 6. And just for those who call CCT their church home, we're going to continue our break from the book of Acts until we can meet together uh, in the same room, which I hope is going to be uh, soon, as much as I appreciate our uh, security people and media people being present in the room. Sure miss all of you. It's a lot uh, more exciting and fun uh, to teach to a room of those who are filled with the Spirit and want to be filled with the Word of God. So hopefully we'll be seeing you all soon. Now, as Charlie mentioned, if you haven't signed up for our church app yet, uh, you need to get signed up for it, as each week the pastors have been sharing a word of encouragement. And we've had some wonderful words from our staff pastors. And it was my turn this week. And I bring that up for this reason. Daniel chapter 6 was going to be the basis for my brief devotion here this Wednesday. But as I began to think about it and read through it and study it, thoughts kept coming to me. And this familiar scene to us all became too much for a devotion. And well, it just morphed into this morning's message. So let me remind you of two things before we dig in. Romans 15 verse 4 tells us whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And what a precious commodity hope is at all times, but especially in this particular season. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 reminds us that all scripture, there at home say all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of Scripture to write what they did so we could learn through the patience and comfort of the Scripture the reason for the hope that is within us and to instruct us how to live righteously and equip us for every good work in every season and situation of life, including the one that we have now encountered. Now, the historical narrative we have in our text is one that is, is familiar worldwide to both believer and non-believer alike. For those who follow the Christian faith and for those who don't, for those who have read the Bible and for those who have not. Most people know of two stories from the scripture, one being David and Goliath and the other being Daniel in the lion's den. And the reason I want to spend an entire Sunday morning on this particular passage is because there are things that are in this familiar story that sound familiar. How's that for a profundity? Things that will parallel our own experience right now as Christians. And thus, this was written for our learning. And I believe we can draw some specific application for such a time as this. Now, let me point out some parallels from the book of Daniel and from Daniel chapter 6. First of all, Daniel was a stranger living in a foreign land. We are described as pilgrims and sojourners on this earth, and this world is not our home. That's where you say amen. The current ruler was favorable towards Daniel and respected his commitment to his God and faith. Also, there were those in places of power within the kingdom who did not appreciate the ruler's uh, respect of Daniel. Also, in Daniel's day, in our chapter, the people in power sought to find a reason to get rid of Daniel. 
Next, we find a decree was written that forbade Daniel from worshiping anyone but the government. And in, the, in this case, the government was the king. Now, here's another thing we'll find that parallels our day. And here's where we'll get into our own application. Daniel did not let those who wanted to destroy him deter him. He stayed the course. Daniel wound up in the lion's den. And we're in kind of a den right now as well. As a matter of fact, those of you who've been on this planet for a while, remember we used to call the family room the den. And many of you have been in the den for some time now. Now the next thing we need to draw as a parallel is God protected Daniel. And then finally we'll note at the end of our chapter this morning, the king retaliated against Daniel's false accusers. And so too is the Lord our defense. Now, I think we need to spend a little time in Daniel 6. Now, we've been reminded in the last two months of how quickly things can change, and indeed they did, both for individuals and for the whole of the world. Now, think about this as it applies to Daniel in our chapter and text. One day, Daniel is on his way to being second in command, much like Joseph was to Pharaoh, over all of this global empire. And the next thing you know, Daniel's in the lion's den. How quickly things change for him. In December, we were sailing along, enjoying a booming economy. And then the next thing you know, businesses are closed. A decree is issued telling us to shelter in place and refrain from gathering together. Now, our title this morning is twofold, and I want to uh, share with you what I mean by that. But I'll first give you our title, and our title is simply Rest Assured. Rest Assured. Now, we're going to incorporate our title in the sense that Rest Assured implies the certainty of something happening. We might say, Rest Assured, what goes around comes around. Now, the other meaning of our title in such a time as this requires some punctuation in the form of a comma between the two words. No matter what we are going through, we can rest. And we can rest being assured that our salvation and eternal destiny is secure. And we will see what this looks like when Daniel finds himself on the other side of the lion's den in a very literal way and hopefully will be on the other side of our den experience very soon as well. So we're going to cover the whole chapter. We'll start with Daniel 6, verses 1 through 9. So read along with me, please, there at home or wherever you may be. Daniel 6, 1 through 9. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, and advisors have consulted together 
to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, Darius signed the written decree. And Lord, we ask this morning, uh, first of all, we ask that you would get our live stream uh, and Facebook live working. Secondly, Lord, we ask even above that in importance that you would anoint this time together, both of the speaker and the hearer, and that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying in times that we are now encountering where challenges are all around us and yet we know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church teach us today we pray through your matchless word we ask it in jesus name amen now one of the things i want to do today is paraphrase some of the language into terms that we're more familiar with so we can get a bit of an idea as to the structure of what's happening in the governmental sense to daniel now, a satrap is an Aramaic word, and this portion of Daniel has moved away from being written in Hebrew into the Aramaic, the diplomatic language of the day. Now, it's a word that would be equivalent to a congressman or maybe a mayor. And then we're told about the governors. Uh, and the governors is a term that we're all familiar with or have heard. It's an emir, and it means a president or chief. Now, for our understanding, we could say that Darius was wanting to appoint Daniel as vice president, and he would thus oversee the House and the Senate because he was an extraordinarily spiritual and wise man. That's what the meaning of having an excellent spirit is. Now, the pagan leaders of the Medo-Persian global empire didn't want this kind of person having influence in the kingdom and over the king, so they tried to find some type of charges against him that were violations of the laws of the land so they could impeach him, something that uh, we're familiar with today. They couldn't find anything legal to charge Daniel with, so they sought to choose him of violating, and again, I'm using language that's familiar to us, but the meaning is uh, the same in Daniel, violating the separation of church and state. Daniel uh, being charged with his religion his beliefs, and how they violated the system, including that uh, which uh, they, they were so concerned about, and that him having an influence over the king especially. So these men played off the pride of the king. They wrote a statute and a decree that the king had to sign, knowing full well that according to the traditions of the Medo-Persian law, once it was signed, it could not be reversed. Now, the interesting thing here for us to point out, first of all, is that the word thronged means to gather tumultuously or to gather in a fervor, to gather seeking to bring about a desired end. And we have that same thing happening today. And the parallels, though Daniel 6, I would say, is not in any way prophetic of future events, but the parallels are unmistakable, which tells us the heart of man does not change apart from knowing God. And there are attacks on what we believe today on unprecedented or in unprecedented levels in our country and around the world. And the collective gatherings against us are growing more and more tumultuous as time passes on. 
Titus reminds us, or Paul reminds us in Titus 3.8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to inf- you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Now, this could be said of Daniel. He was careful to maintain good works. There was nothing negative that could be said about him as a citizen of the Babylonian kingdom and then on into the uh, Medo-Persian kingdom. And uh, interesting, we'll see that Daniel's character maintains its status throughout all the kings he had an influence over. And this was true even though he was a stranger in a foreign land. He was careful to maintain good works as a captive. And we need to be doing the same thing. Paul said, this is a faithful saying that needs to be confirmed constantly. Now, the means by which we are careful to make uh, maintain good works has changed, but we can still be an encouragement to others, even though we're told not to be in contact with one another. We can still say things that build people up and encourage them and sometimes even challenge them in the times and formats that we're now living out our Christian faith. Now, if Daniel was going to be accused, it was going to have to be concerning what he believed. And in order for that to happen, what he believed need to be made illegal, at least the practice of it, need to be made illegal if only temporarily, in this case, some 30 days. And that was how they were going to get Daniel out of office, so to speak. Now, we also need to back up to Daniel's service under the previous administration, at least for a moment, that can lead to our first reminder that we can rest assured of. In Daniel 5, 1 to 6, we're told that Belshazzar, the king, who made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels, which his father, was actually his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine, praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and rode opposite the lampstand on the plaster wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Now, for any of you who may not be familiar with what was written on the wall by the hand sent by God that caused Belshazzar's knees to knock together, the words were many, many tekel eupharsin. And many means M-E-N-E is how you spell it. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel means you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez means your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. What we're told at the end of Daniel chapter 5 and 30 to 31 is that very night Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Now, this is important to know and what I want to draw your attention to is what was said of Daniel by the wise men, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers 
when they couldn't tell Belshazzar what the writing meant. In Daniel 5 through 11, there's a man in your kingdom, they reported to the king, in whom there is uh, the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, pointing back to Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas or mysteries were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. And Daniel is the one who told Belshazzar exactly what the writing on the wall meant, and it was all about him. Now, what was said about Daniel in our verses this morning? We look back to chapter 3. We see that Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And we see the same thing mentioned about Daniel here on another administration that he is serving under, another empire that he is serving under. And who Daniel was under Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was under Belshazzar. Who Daniel was under Belshazzar is who Daniel was under Darius. Who Daniel was under Darius is who Daniel will be under Cyrus the Persian. But our point is this this morning, and you can rest assured that it is true. Listen close. Every plot against God's people is an effort to thwart God's plan. Every plot against God's people is an effort to thwart God's plan. Now, I don't think any one of us are unaware that evil is growing in these last days and that things are done and believed that were never done and, quite frankly, never allowed in the course of human history. Every generation has understood that inside of a pregnant woman is a developing human child, not a blob of tissue, not a group of cells, but an actual human being who is going to grow in the womb until it's time to be born. It's interesting that none of the pro-choice crowd seems to think there's a blob of tissue inside of a bald or golden eagle egg or growing inside of a pregnant endangered tiger species. Now, as a matter of fact, under the Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act, you can be fined $5,000 and face a year in prison for deliberately destroying or even disturbing a bald or golden eagle egg. Yet the courts will protect the right to kill a human baby in the womb because it's been assigned the category of a blob of tissue. Yet it's interesting that animal conservationists try and breed endangered animals in an effort to increase their numbers. So why in the world would anyone think that inside a human mother is anything growing except the human child? Well, I can answer that question and I can answer it without hesitation. And I can answer it through the words of Jesus in John 10.10, where he said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Listen, God is pro-life. God is the giver of life. God is the sustainer of life. Satan is pro-death. He hates life. He only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. 
And all of this is an effort to thwart what God has ordained. Think about the history of Israel. God chose the Jews as the people through whom he would bring into the world the Messiah and also through whom he would have written the oracles of God or the Old Testament and the vast majority of the new. So Satan has been trying to kill the Jews ever since. And it's not just because he hates them, it's because he hates God. And Daniel was in a position to influence kings. Satan didn't want that kind of influence over pagan kings. He wanted them listening to him, not God, who would obviously speak to kings through Daniel. And Daniel had been a trusted advisor to Nebuchadnezzar, to his grandson Belshazzar, and now to Darius, and he would later be, as we mentioned, to King Cyrus, who would be instrumental in releasing the Jews to go back to their homeland. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 44, 28, the prophet says, who says of Cyrus, speaking, the Lord speaking, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Now, the amazing part about this is Isaiah named Cyrus as the one who would release the captives in uh, the original captives of Babylon mostly from the tribe of Judah. And that's when Jews began to be referred to under that name, Jews instead of Israelites, because most of the Babylonian captives were from the tribe of Judah. But it was Cyrus who was going to say, go back, get out from under captivity, move back to Jerusalem, and would issue the decree to rebuild the uh, temple. And this all happened, was written rather, 150 years before Cyrus was ever born. So we're told in Daniel 6:28, this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now those in political power hated Daniel because the king trusted Daniel. And they may have been instruments of persecution, but the devil was behind it all. Even as we see in the tribulation period, there are two beasts that rise to world power recorded in Revelation 13. And the Antichrist, or more properly, the first beast of Revelation, is empowered directly by and possessed by the devil himself. Listen, Satan didn't want Daniel and Cyrus working together. And Satan doesn't want the church having a voice in America or in any other governmental system around the world. And the reason is Daniel knew too much because he knew the word of God. And God made a covenant with Israel and God made a covenant with the people and the land. And Satan had not been successful at killing the Jews, so he tried keeping them from returning to the land. And if he was successful in either capacity, he had thwarted the will of God by leaving a portion of God's covenant with Israel unfulfilled and thus making the Bible untrue. But everything God has spoken has been and will be fulfilled as written. And we know this particularly about Cyrus from Ezra 1, 1 to 4, where we're told in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. 
and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold and goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Listen, Jeremiah the prophet said the captivity of the Jews would last for 70 years. Satan wanted it to be 71 or 72 or 70 years and six months. Anything but the 70 that the prophet Jeremiah spoke of because he wants to attack and assault and seek to thwart anything that God had said. Now we need to remember in the days and times that we now live, we have come under attack and it's not just because we are God's people like Daniel, but it's because we seek to follow God's plan. And that's what Satan is after, to diminish the word of God. Think about the fall of man in the garden. What did the Lord say, or what did uh, Satan say to deceive Eve? He questioned the word of God. He said, hath God said, when you eat of it, you will surely die. You're not going to die at all. And he was twisting scripture and has been doing it ever since and hoping to cause some portion of the word of God to not be fulfilled. And I've got a wonderful reminder for us all in our last section about his efforts. Decrees have been issued forbidding us to meet. God said in Hebrews 10.25, not to forsake meeting together. And that's exactly what it means. It means to meet in one place. It doesn't mean to meet online. It means to meet in the same room. Now we're doing what we have to do for the time being, but we need to recognize as Christians there's a battle raging beyond the visible. And one other thing you can rest assured of is that God wins. And that includes in our situation now. Look at verses 10 to 17. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And, when the, and the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king has established may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now we're told that Daniel had this practice since early days, and that's a reference to his time in Daniel. He wouldn't have prayed toward Jerusalem as a young man. Most believe that Daniel was carried off into captivity at about 17 years old, 
and he lived in Jerusalem. So he wouldn't have prayed toward Jerusalem as a young man, but this tells us ever since he was carried away by Nebuchadnezzar to live in Babylon, three times a day he would open the windows, face the west, and pray to Jerusalem, the city of the people of God, the city in which the Lord had put his name forever. Now this reminds us of what we mentioned earlier, that Daniel was not a political or spiritual chameleon. He remained who he was, no matter who was in power, no matter what king or kingdom he was serving under. He prayed in Babylon like he used to pray in Jerusalem, giving thanks to God. So Daniel's adversaries had set the trap and now went to see if Daniel took the bait. And the word assembled is the same Hebrew word translated as thronged that we mentioned earlier. And again, these men are in a tumultuous gathering. They are stirring up one another. They are seeking to cause strife within the leadership of the nation. And they are seeking to take out Daniel by their words and efforts. And now they run to the king to say Daniel had violated the irreversible decree that they had tricked the king into signing. Now this isn't unfamiliar for we think back in chapter 3 of Nebuchadnezzar when he had made, or Daniel, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar made a 90-foot high, 15-foot wide golden statue of himself with the decree, the statute, the command that whenever the music was played, everyone had to bow down to the statue. Now we're told in Daniel 3, 8 to 12, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery <clears throat> in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship the, uh, the uh, image shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, <clears throat> we know where the trio of men wound up after they were confronted by Nebuchadnezzar in his fury, especially after they said, when he asked them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you don't bow when the music is played? And they said, we don't have any need to answer you. We're not bound to you. We're not bound to any idol. And he said, and they went on to say, you know what, whether God delivers us from the fire or not, we're not bowing, so do what you want. And in his rage and in his fury, he had the fire heated seven times above its normal temperature. And we need to also note in the midst of this scene where these men fall down into the fiery furnace, that Daniel is conspicuous by his absence in Daniel 3. But we know that it isn't because Daniel bowed to the music. We know that it's likely because he was somewhere uh, out of town on the king's business. But the same phrasing of an accusation is made against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom Nebuchadnezzar himself had promoted to positions of power after Daniel interpreted the king's dream in chapter 2. And this is used against Daniel. Here, Daniel's accusers don't recognize his title, don't call him governor, as he shared with two other men and refer to him as one of the captives of Judah. They were trying to belittle him in the eyes and ears of the king, like the accusers of the trio called them 
certain Jews, highlighting before Nebuchadnezzar that these were captives, these were slaves, these were second-class people and citizens. And the same is being done to us today. We talked earlier in a message a few weeks ago about the fact that Christians are being blamed for the spread of COVID-19 in our country and the fact that some gathered when there were orders uh, given not to do so is why we're seeing what we're seeing today. Some are trying to say and the accusations and the tumultuous collective agreement by many is happening against the church today. Yet, realizing he had been duped by these politicians, the king was displeased with himself, Darius that is, and he set his heart to deliver Daniel and he worked to find some kind of loophole until the sun set, <clears throat> excuse me, and nighttime came. <clears throat> excuse me. But having exhausted all efforts, he finally came to the place where he was trapped. He was cornered. There was no way he could get around the decree that he himself had signed. So he has Daniel thrown into the den. The Hebrew word actually means pit, indicating this was somewhere in the ground. We'll find further proof of that at the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he had a stone placed over the hole, and then he put his own signet ring seal over the stone, as well as the signets of the Lord, so no one could let Daniel out without having to break the king's seal, which again was against the law. Now Jesus tells you and I in Matthew 5, 11 to 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And one of those persecuted prophets was Daniel, whom the Lord referred to as a prophet in Matthew 24, 15. Now, here's what we need to recognize and rest assured of is as true today as it was in Daniel's. Here's the second thing I'd like you to consider. Listen this morning, in the midst of all that's going on, the attacks against the church, to say nothing of what's happening globally, we need to remember this and rest assured of it. The devil cannot seal our fate. The blood of Jesus sealed ours and his. The devil cannot seal our fate. The blood of Jesus sealed ours and his. Satan can harass us. Satan can inspire people to persecute us and afflict us and throw us in prisons, fiery furnaces, and lion's den. But rest assured, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy, promise, Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Paul would also write to Timothy in the same manner when he said in 2.19 of his second letter, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Some years ago, there was some uh, company that was making Christian t-shirts and they had some rather pithy statements that were made. And one of my favorites uh, from some 30 years ago was that the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Listen, it's not just our fate that has been sealed through the blood of Jesus Christ. His fate has been sealed as well. And we know that from Revelation 20, 10, 
when we're told that the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented, tormented day and night forever and ever. This pretty much does away with the teaching of annihilationism that is popularized uh, today that at the end the fire consumes uh, the person and the soul and they simply cease to exist. No, the Bible says there is an eternal place of torment for the devil, the beast, and the false prophet and all those who have rejected God's offer of salvation. We, in contrast, <clears throat> excuse me, have been sealed by the Spirit of God. We have been sealed to remind us that we are recipients of a future inheritance that is guaranteed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Listen, they can decree all they want, but they cannot prevail. They can say you have to worship in this manner or only in that place all they want. But Christ is the head of the church, and when they pick a battle with the church, they pick a battle with Christ. And we need to remember these things in these last days. And we're also told at the end of the exchange with Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3, 21 to 25, that these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and had the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Listen, God is with us in the midst of all this. And he, even though he allows things that we may be fearful of or uncomfortable in considering, I'm sure these men, and the fact that they weren't going to bow, thought it was a possibility that they were going to lose their life for not bowing down at the sound of the music to Nebuchadnezzar's statue of himself. But the fact is, when it was necessary, when they needed to be inside of a fire without the smell of smoke on them, without harm to their clothes, or without any of the flame <coughs> reaching them, God showed up in a big way. And Nebuchadnezzar said, there's one in there with the three, and his form is like the Son of God. Listen, someday every knee is going to bow to the one we bow now to. Someday everyone is going to confess to the one we now confess, and that is to Jesus Christ, and that he is the Lord. Until then, we need to remember God is for us and not against us. So what can man do to us? Let's keep reading and finish off our chapter, picking it up in 18 and reading down to the end. <clears throat> now, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was also found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. 
Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Again, telling us this was a hole in the ground. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And as we read earlier, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, this is where we're going to insert our comma into our title, as it appears as though Daniel had a better night's rest than the king who had put him in the lion's den. Remember, he had already said to Daniel, Daniel, your God, who you believe in and trust in and serve, is going to deliver you. But then his action said he wasn't so sure about his own statement as he tried to release Daniel. And then he found himself up all night, uh, basically foregoing the scheduled entertainment and food that was the norm for a king in the evening. He couldn't sleep. And at first light, that's what the word morning means. As soon as the uh, sun was up, morning is the Aramaic word for dawn. He arose, he hurried to the den of lions, and in fear of the silence in response to his cry, he called out to Daniel, identifying him as a servant of the living God, who Daniel serves continually asking if his God had delivered him from the mouth of the lions. So Daniel said, yeah, he did, and you're going to get it. No, Daniel didn't say that at all. Daniel greeted the king with the customary respectful manner, even though the king was the one who ultimately had him thrown in the den. He said, O king, live forever. God sent an angel, shut the mouths of the lions, and I am unhurt. And then Daniel says, why? He says, I'm innocent before God. Secondly, he says, I've done nothing wrong before you. And two reminders here. And the first is from when Nathan confronted David about his adultery with Bathsheba. And David made the point, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin, you shall not die. Listen, we need to remember all sin is against the Lord. Even though it may manifest itself from human to human, the sin is against God. And through Jesus, the Lord has put away our sin and we will not experience the second death. Now in Acts 5, 27 to 29, we're also told about the apostles when they had brought them and set them before the council. And the high priest asked them saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other, other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, Peter and the other apostles were directed by the council not to teach in the name of Jesus, but they did it anyway. It landed them in the common prison. Then an angel came and let them out, and they went right back to preaching. Then they were arrested again, reminded again that they were directed not to teach in Jesus' name, thus filling Jerusalem with their doctrine. 
We have to remember that the Romans left legal matters concerning the practice of their religion in the hands of the Jews, even though they were under Roman domination. And Peter and the others said, hey, doesn't matter what you say. We're going to obey God rather than men. Daniel was innocent. He was innocent before God, and he had done the king no wrong. And the king then, having found no injury on Daniel, recognized the magnitude of the miracle, gave the command to bring Daniel's accusers, children, and families. This was a traditional practice of the day. And cast him into the lion's den. And they were immediately consumed, proving that the lions hadn't been fed by the king the night before, so they wouldn't be interested in eating Daniel. These were hungry lions, and they were put in the den for the purpose of punishing others by consuming them to their death. Now, <clears throat> Darius followed this by writing a decree to every kingdom under his dominion that men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And then he said, why? He said, he's the living God. He's steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one that can't be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. Then he made this observation about our God. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel's service to God under Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and now Darius had had such an impact that led both Nebuchadnezzar and Darius to write similar decrees. Belshazzar had no respect for Daniel. He had no respect for God, even though Daniel always acted respectfully of him. He mocked God by bringing vessels from the temple to drink out of at his drunken party in an act of disrespect for God and Daniel. The end result was he was weighed, found wanting, and he lost his kingdom and life in the same night of this foolish act of defiance against the true and living God. Now, Peter also said this of interest. In 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, <clears throat> Excuse me, whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, this is the same man who said when they were told not to teach in Jesus name, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, that tells us that what he is talking about in first Peter two are the ordinances of man that are unrelated to what we believe. Now, I don't believe we're necessarily where all this is leading to yet, but I do believe we are on the cusp of being told we cannot go to church for a long season. And when the church stands up under our First Amendment rights, we'll be told what we believe is in conflict with the greater good. And like Daniel... There are those with an anti-God, anti-Israel, and anti-church agenda who want to see us silenced into compliance. Now, again, I don't believe the no gatherings decree that we are now under is the ultimate decree that's going to be issued someday about not worshiping God, but rather worshiping the image uh, that is going to be made of the Antichrist. But I believe we are seeing the stage set 
so that this can be normalized, that the government has the power to tell people how they can worship and how they cannot. Now, <clears throat> here's our last observation in closing. And again, remember we inserted our comma in our title. Listen, here it is. No matter what comes our way, we can rest, comma, assured that God is on our side. No matter what comes our way, we can rest. The Lord came to bring us rest. Assured that God is on our side. Now, we know what's eventually coming during the tribulation for those who respect the word of God and have the testimony of Jesus. In the tribulation, we're told in Revelation 20, verse 4, John says, I saw thrones and they sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Listen, the world is going to be divided into two camps during the tribulation even as it, as it is divided now. You're either for or against Christ now. During the tribulation, you are either for or against the Antichrist then. And this is going to be identified by either refusing, your group that is, refusing or accepting the mark of the beast. Now we need to remember, Daniel was innocent before God. We are made innocent before God by the blood of Christ. The tribulation saints are made innocent before God by the blood of Christ. For the majority of the world to take the mark and approve of killing innocent people, they would already have to become accustomed to that practice before the tribulation. And listen, I think we all recognize that this practice is protected and well-received by the majority of people in our country as the most innocent of all people are slaughtered every day by groups like Planned Parenthood who are killing, killing human beings as they grow inside a mother's womb. Now, as the days grow darker, we can rest in a world that is already accepting of killing innocent people because we have this assurance. Hebrews 6, 10 to 12 says, for God is not unjust. Somebody say amen to that. God is not unjust. He doesn't forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope. For how long? Until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now listen, the end is near. There's no question that the evidence points to the fact that the end of the church age is drawing to a close. And we may not be able to meet here, but nothing can stop us from meeting the Lord in the air. Someday the trumpet is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain are going to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, he's gone to prepare a place for us. And he's gone to do so, which assures us that he's coming back to get us. If he's made a place for us, he has to come and take us there. And he went on to say to his disciples in the, uh, at the Last Supper setting, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. It's true. Things are wrapping up. There's no question about that. And as they wrap up, we know the world is going to grow uh, 
cold in their love for one another. The natural human affection and order and structure of the family is going to be abandoned. All of these things are efforts of the enemy to thwart the plan of God. The foundations and ordinances God established at creation are called into question. You know, we have people that are teaching our young people that nothing became everything without any assistance and certainly not from some imaginary being who can speak worlds into existence. They won't believe in an invisible God, but they will believe that nothing can make everything. We also have the change in the family structure. We've noted that marriage has been redefined in these last days, even though since the beginning of the world, when there were two people on the earth, God said marriage is between a man and a woman, and he makes the two one flesh through the ordinance of marriage. We have all kinds of things happening in our day that are precursors to what is going to ultimately be fulfilled during the tribulation period. The end of the church age is near. And listen, this is exciting, even in the midst of all the angst and problems that we have in our day and how people's lives are being affected by this shutdown and shelter in place order. But we need to keep our eyes on the prize. Yes, there are times where decrees are written against what it is we practice and believe, but God is for us and he is able to deliver us, and he is going to deliver us. And just maybe his plan in all this is not to get us back in the room together, but to get us into heaven together through the rapture of the church in a moment and the twinkling of an eye. I don't know about you, but my schedule is clear. My calendar is open. Any day the Lord wants to come for us all, I'm ready for that, and I pray you are too. And somebody there say amen. And Father, we are grateful for your matchless word again. We thank you, Lord, for these things from history that remind us of your future and even present plan as things turn against us. Lord, we note that they will not prevail against us. So we're thankful for these truths. Thankful, Lord, to see the, a man of integrity, how he walked through various administrations and political systems and was the man that was unchanging. He was not a chameleon based on who was in power and in office, and yet he was respectful even to those who were disrespectful to you. So Lord, I pray that we indeed would understand that these lines have long been drawn in scripture. And note that the same man who said we ought to obey God rather than men also gave us a reminder to honor the king, to be good citizens. But there is a line, and when it is crossed, Lord, as established in scripture, we obey you over anything that tells us to disobey you, no matter who they are, no matter their position of power, whether they be a global ruler like Darius and Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, or they be a local mayor, governor, city councilman, or whatever. Lord, help us in these last days to stand firm upon your word of God and to obey the decrees that you have given for your church all the way up until the end. Even so, we pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We give you honor, praise, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.